So we gather together to talk about that God who is so good to us. And today we'll continue to do so in the next psalm. Do you remember where, which one it is? It is Psalm 18. So that's good. But what's a little challenging is that if you look at it, <clears throat> you're going to find out it consists of 50 verses. So are you comfortable? <laughs> we have plenty of vittles. We'll make it. And, uh... You know, if we go like really, really long, the good thing is that you're, you're already in your seats for next week. <laughs> Psalm 8, look what it says. The Lord praised for giving deliverance. That is a superscript, which is a, a part of inspired, authoritative, inerrant scripture that is not put there by the editors or translators of your Bible. We see these superscripts throughout the book of Psalms. It's added, and it tells us what's coming. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. It is a psalm of gratitude. And in so being, it has an entirely different character than the one we read last week. We could call that a psalm of desperation. In it, David cried out for help. In this one, he thanks God for the help received. Hence, God is praised for giving deliverance. You might have in your Bible a little side note cross-reference which tells you this is also found in 2 Samuel 22. Anyone have that? Hey, way to go. 2 Samuel 22. Not in toto, but uh, parts of it are recorded in 2 Samuel 22 exactly word for word. Why? There was an event there in 2 Samuel 22 concerning David. Enemies were against him, specifically Saul. God delivered him. It was a personal and private need and deliverance. But now in this psalm, David's going public. He had a private experience with Almighty God recorded historically in 2 Samuel 22, but now he's making it the basis of praise and worship and thanksgiving. And so he offered it to the ancient hymnal of the ancient Israelites so that it, his experience attributing certain characteristics to God would become part of the liturgy, part of the corporate worship. And by the way, that's the way it is. If God gives you the personal experience of blessing, you and I are to spread the wealth by telling others. And in so doing, we're living proof of a loving God. So that's what David is going to do here. And notice it says, for the choir director. Again, that's part of inspired scripture. It's not been added. This is a song. It's part of a hymn book. It's going to be part of the liturgy of worship. So he gives a musical direction. This is for the choir director. It is, he says to the choir director, it's a psalm of David. How is he described next? Servant of the Lord. But tell me, who else was David? What other position did he hold? King of Israel. What would you, how would you identify yourself? Servant of the Lord or King of Israel. To David, servant of the Lord was a more lofty description than even King of Israel. That was a good deal. 
but to be servant of the Lord. David knew there was nothing special about him, but his calling as servant of the Lord gave his life a special character and purpose. So too you and I. Whatever else may be true of us in terms of our status in life, rejoice. If you're a Christian, this is the promotion. Servant, representative, ambassador of the God Most High. We don't move, all of us, in high circles, but we're connected to the creator of the world. For instance, you may have gotten your invitation to attend the inauguration uh, of the president, but mine... I'm sure it was lost in the mail. <laughs> I, just, I didn't get it. And then of the 10 inaugural balls to follow, I wasn't invited to a one of them. I'm sure it was some mistake. I had to stay home and watch bits, bits and pieces of it. And I mean, it would be quite a thing, you know, to be in the company of the president of the United States. It's quite a thing to be the president of the United States. What a lofty position, but it pales in comparison to being a servant of the Lord. Which tells me, by the way, that's something we could pray for our president and all those in authority, that along with all the rest of their responsibilities, God would so move in their heart, so woo them and so attract them to himself that they would take great pleasure above all other things in being a servant of the Lord. He can transform people. He transformed you, right? We can pray him into the Oval Office, and we ought to. So just pray that as, as our president serves us, he would come to delight in serving the Lord as well. So he identifies himself as servant of the Lord, then says, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song. He sang it to him, probably. Hey, the next time you're in a worship service and you say, hey, some people sing, I just listen. I think you're robbing God. Ain't nothing in the Bible that says you have to sing well. But singing is an offering. It's a gift. It's an expression of praise. I mean, I've been told all kinds of stuff about my singing. I throw people off. I'm tone deaf. And I have this amazing capacity to keep singing. It just doesn't bother me at all. I'm not singing to anybody else. So David expressed the deliverance of God, put it in the form of a song, and sang it to him in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. We don't know all of them, but we know this character, Saul. And he said, now we're going to see what he said, but let me tell you something. In the prior psalm, Psalm 17, he was in bad shape. He thought he's going to die. He cannot overcome. Everyone's out to get him. They want to kill him. So at the peak of emotion, remember, not precise theology. Let's not hold that against him. At the peak of emotion, he piles one phrase of desperate appeal to God after another and it gets to be a little awkward and that's how emotions are they just they're just a little bit awkward and now something else is happening he's still piling one thought upon another but now it's not the emotion of the de um, desperation it's the gratitude of deliverance so here's how he starts out I love you O Lord my strength now, I'll tell you why he said that. 
He said that because God first expressed his love to him. And God's love for him evoked David's love back. And that's how it works. We are supposed to be regularly increasing, enlarging our heart's capacity to love God. But you can't do it, neither can I. So a good God goes before us and loves on us in concrete ways, manifests his love. And what it does is the same thing it did for David. It stimulates a love response. I love you, O Lord. You know how, why it works that way? I'll tell you why. Because we're all a bunch of goofy little kids. And you know how your goofy little kids and grandkids are? You give them something they want for Christmas or their birthday, and you know what they do. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mommy. And they really think and keep up the good work. <laughs> That's how we do God. Because we're little kids, too. So God delivers the good, manifests his loving kindness to us, and then we say, I love you. That's what David's doing right away. And by the way, I don't think that uh, bothers God. That's why he calls us little kids, little children. He knows who we are. And so we grow this way as we see him. Doesn't it say in the New Testament, we don't love God. He first loved us. That's why we love him. So God loved on David by delivering him. And David is just piling out this emotion. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Then he goes on, verse 2. The Lord is my rock. In Hebrew, it means cleft rock. Kind of a cool deal. David is hiding out, has been hiding out from Saul. Saul's a madman, wants to kill him. So David goes south of Jerusalem into an area called the Judean wilderness. It's real dry and arid. It's along the shores of the Dead Sea. And there's an elevated area, buddy, we were there, you remember? It was an elevated area, and there's a lot of caves in it. David goes to hide out. It, and Saul's down there with a whole bunch of guys looking for, looking for Dave. He's hiding out in the clefts of the rock. And he uses this metaphor. He's not saying God is literally a rock. He's saying, you are like this to me. You are the basis of my protection. In this case, he doesn't mean rock in the sense of stability. He means rock in the sense of protection. By the way, because this is poetry and not historical narrative, you're going to see David use a lot of word pictures, illustrations, and metaphors. This is different literature than, say, Romans. If you read Romans, you are reading a legal brief. There is nothing metaphorical, abstract, uh, or anything like that in Romans. It is Paul, the lawyer-like scholar, laying out a shut-tight case against those who deny God and in favor of God who has revealed himself. That's a different form of biblical literature. This is poetry. And when people write poetry, again, they create, they paint word pictures they use illustrations and so you got a lot of elements in nature here called upon by the artist to express truth about God you're my rock my fortress my deliverer my God my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold 
So I ask you a question. Take a look at verse 2. What word in it is the most oft repeated? It is the word my. I must tell you that little old world makes all the difference in your world. Just about everyone believes in God. No. Just about everyone believes there is a God. I mean, he's out there somewhere. He's transcendent. I mean, every poll reveals just about everyone uh, believes there is a God. That's good. But it isn't good enough. Until there is that my God connection with the God who is there, you are in a very precarious position because you only have a generic, abstract concept of the God who is out there. You really don't know what he's like. You don't know who he's talking to, and you don't know what you're talking about. Until you could say, that God, the creator of all, the one who has no end nor beginning, he is my God, he is my strength, he is my fortress, he is my rock, he is my refuge. The word my is the salvation word. When one says, I have a sin problem, it is my sin for which I need my Savior, then you are saved. If you speak in generic terms, that's not good. So my is important. But I ask you this. If God is your refuge, if you can say my refuge, as David did, what good is that if you don't make recourse to him as your refuge? What good does it do you? Now, let's be honest. A good number of us who know God as refuge make him our refuge as the last resort, not the first resort. So we do everything else possible before we get to God and just say, help. What good is it to have him as a very present help in time of need? If we don't go directly to him. You know what David is saying with all these my words? You are my rock and my fortress, my refuge. You know what he's doing? He's saying, I am putting all my eggs of dependence in one basket. Yours. He's saying, God, I have no backup plan. He's saying, God, if you don't come through for me, that's all she wrote. He is saying, he's not saying, God, I'll give you a try, and if you're busy doing something else, I got lots of other sources of help. You're saying, God, I don't have a prayer. I don't have hope. There is nobody who can do for me what you can do for me. And therefore, I make my recourse to you as the place of first resort, not last resort. Look, have you ever done this? You're going through all kinds of stuff and you're trying this and you're getting counsel from people and you're talking for people, but you haven't even asked God. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm kind of ashamed of it, but I do that too. Thanks for coming, Michelle. It's really good. <laughs> Sorry, we started a little early. And that's all. Would you like a donut? Would you like? It's still here for you. And that's okay, Michelle. Will the class leader please take note of this? So. Oh, you were singing? You are in the choir? Oh, man, do I feel bad. 
Wow, man. Because we're talking about singing and stuff. And you think singing is more important than Bible study. Go ahead. Hey, check this out. Verse 3. You, you'll like this. By the way, if we're on verse 3, 3 from 50, 47 to go. Whoa, baby. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. You know what David discovered? A connection between two things. He discovered a connection between desperation here and deliverance here. And can you discern, based on verse 3, what the connection is between private desperation and divine deliverance? What's the connection? Calling out to the Lord. Prayer. So let me give you another D word because it'll be easier to remember these three Ds. I mean, it'll help you. Here's the first D. Desperation. And here's the last D, which we want. Deliverance from it. So here's the bridge that connects the two. Declare to God your need. Desperation. Declaration of it. And then look expectantly for deliverance. You see it? Don't make it, don't make it complicated. This is the Christian life. God will allow us places in our lives where, in, where in we are in great distress. We have nowhere to turn. We put all, all our eggs of dependence in one basket. We cry out to him because we're desperate. And then we find him be our del deliverer. And then we come into places like this and we praise him. We say, let me tell you what God is like. I know what he's like. I know what he's done for me. And I know he's willing to do that for you. Can you see how it works? So David said, I'll call upon the Lord. I'll declare my need. And I am saved. I'm delivered. Then it goes on. He speaks about death coming close. He talks about ungodliness, kind of freaking him out. He talks about the courts of Sheol. You know, that's the Old Testament place of the dead. Talks about his distress, calling upon the Lord, crying for help. And then he says, he heard my voice out of his temple. Where did the temple stand? Jerusalem. But at the time when Saul was after David, where was David located? Man, he's in the desert, right? You know what he's saying? I am not close to the temple. I'm not even in the temple. God took up his abode in the temple. But this distance is no limitation on God's willingness to hear. He can hear my cry from the desert, from the wilderness of Judea, even though he has established his presence way up there in Jerusalem in the temple. And he will lend his ear to me. Folks, that is a very cool deal. God doesn't dwell in buildings. You know what's sad? A person who comes to church on Sunday because they're needy and think that's the only place where you can petition God for help. Uh, you're waiting six days for, ask him to, for asking him to be helpful to you? Uh, that's not what, it's just a building here. 
It's just a goofy building. It's the relationship. You know, you can be driving down the road, get a flat tire in Clute, Texas, and ask God for help, and he can hear you. Yeah, even in Clute. You know where Clute is? Yeah, I always used it. Mosquito, yeah. I like to say that because it sounds good, Clute, Texas. So that's what David is saying. Now I want to show you something. Verse 6. There are verbs in it. But in the Hebrew, the verb form um, is actually more expressive of what's going on here than the English rendering. So in the Hebrew, all these verbs in verse 6, the action words, are present tense. And the present tense in Hebrew means ongoing action. So they're I-N-G words. You don't stand, you are standing. You don't run, you are running. You don't eat, you are eating. So the activity doesn't begin and have a quick end. The activity is perpetuated. That's what's going on in verse 6. Therefore, I could translate it this way. Listen. In my distress, I kept calling upon the Lord. And I kept crying to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help kept coming before him. Can you see the difference? So, so, so petitioning God is not something to do and then be done with. Have you ever run into people with this attitude? Maybe you're one of them. You know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give God a shot. I'm going to tell him what I need. And if he comes through for me, good. I'll talk to him again. But if he doesn't give me what I want, that's it. Prayer doesn't work. Oh, no. Prayer is not something to do and be done with. Prayer is not an event. Prayer is a lifestyle in which you express your dependence on God. Prayer is something that brings you into his presence. Prayer enhances the relationship. Hence, the I-N-G nature of prayer. David is not, he didn't call. He's regularly calling. He didn't cry. He's all the time crying to God. You see the difference? Real important. So how often in the course of a day do you talk to God about the same thing? I'll tell you, as many times as you're thinking about that same thing. So if you're thinking about that thing 15 times in a day, you ought to be talking to God about it 15 times during the day. Why? Thinking about it's not doing you any good. Talking to God about it does a lot of good. You tell him, oh God, you're necessary in the equation of life. You ain't optional. I need you. Not only that, it sure is good to talk to you. I'm reminded you're there and who you are and all the rest. Yeah, but what if you pray about the same thing 15 times in a day? Won't God said, hey, back off. You're bugging me. <laughs> no. No. No, never. He just won't. He won't do that. He delights in hearing from his kids. It enhances our dependence on him. Well, then it goes on. Earth shook and quaked. Not really. Remember, poetic, figurative speech. 
Foundations of the mountains were trembling. They were shaken because God was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled. He came down with thick darkness. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place. Darkness of waters, thick clouds from the skies. From the brightness before him, uh, past his thick clouds, they were hailstones and coals of fire. He thundered from the heavens. He uttered his voice. Again, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent arrows, lightning flashes. He routed them. Channels of water then appeared. Foundations of the world were laid bare. O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent them on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. You know what? That's not actually true. Those things didn't happen to David. What's David talking about? David wasn't in on the hailstone and thunder stuff. That was Sodom and Gomorrah. David wasn't in on the release of the channels of water and all that. That's the Red Sea. What's David talking about? This is good. Listen. You know what he's saying? I am in association with every single person who has ever lived and with whom God takes delight and who God has delivered. I am in this exclusive, privileged group of people who have, though their situations have all been different, and though they lived at different times, received from the same good God deliverance. He's not saying everyone who's been helped by God has been helped in the same way. He's saying everyone who has been helped has been helped by the same helping God. So folks... I don't know how God's going to be your supply, and you don't know how he's going to be my supply. If you have a physical illness, he may be your supply by healing you. But he may not deliver you from the physical illness. Instead, he may deliver you through it because he may find there's more blessing for you in it than out of it. If you're unemployed, God may deliver you by giving you a suitable and satisfying job. But if you're unemployed, God may help you out by forcing you to humble yourself and receive helps from others. If you do not have a marital life partner and hurt, God may deliver you by matching you up with a suitable life partner in due season. Or God may deliver you by enhancing your marital covenant relationship with him. So the point is, we don't know how God's going to deliver one another, and that's why we should not compare ourselves to one another. And that's why when some goofball writes a book expressing the formula by which we get what we want, that creepo doesn't know what he's talking about. You just wasted your money on the book. Because God has at his disposal a whole repertoire of vehicles by which he can provide for us. What we have in common is that he provides for us. Where we differ is that he doesn't do it the same way. Don't you see it? So David is saying, I'm connected in the present 
with everyone who has been delivered by God in the past throughout human history. We all made recourse to the same rock, the same fortress, the same refuge. He is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. And as he was with them, he has been with me. And as he is with me, he'll be with you. See it? Very cool. In my opinion. Okay, okay. So for the sake of time, skip a little bit. I want you to check out verses 20 to 24. And I'll read it to you. There's something in it a, a little, I don't know, it might get your attention. David makes a connection between the good stuff he got from God and himself. And so I want you to just see it, and then at the end, tell me what you think about it. Here, the Lord, verse 20, has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes. So what thinkest you about that? You see anything that's, I don't know, a little weird, disturbing? What do you think, Doug? <laughs> so here's what Doug is saying. Uh, he must have conveniently forgotten some of the episodes in his life, like Bathsheba, Uriah, for instance, stuff like that. By the way, you look nice, Doug. You're all dressed up. Hey, look, you look like a lawyer. What, once he, no, I didn't, okay, sorry. I didn't mean it. So, okay, so you see what David's get, uh, Doug is getting at. You know, David, what do you mean blameless? Holy moly. What else you get out of there? You got any other things that just kind of shake you a little bit here? Or you? Ah, uh, work. <laughs> see, David is essentially making an association between his righteousnesses and God coming through. David is essentially saying, because I've been such a cool guy. Uh, that's why you're doing good stuff for me. Can you see that? How do you feel about that? Yes, ma'am. Gee, that's good. Uh, uh, David wasn't claiming sinlessness, but when we confess our sins, the relationship is repaired, and David is sort of saying that, and and it's a blessed experience. Well, I like what you said. That was good. Here, so let me ask you a question. Um, do you get saved by grace or by merit? Grace. Yeah, by grace. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Most of us got that figured out here. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the shed blood of Christ alone. That's the Reformation principle. I don't know if you know that, but we hold to that. However... Though salvation is by grace alone, do you know the experience of the benefits of salvation is very much a function of obedience? Which is why the most miserable person on earth is not an unsaved person. Oh, oh, oh. That person will be quite miserable in eternity. I understand that. But frankly, it's party time down here. 
The most miserable person on earth is not an unsaved person because the unsaved person is living in a way that's very uh, consistent with their not being saved. But the most miserable person on earth is the saved person in disobedience to God. You just know that. Now you're saved, but you're not experiencing the fruits thereof. And that's what disobedience does. You know how that's it. Look, you birth a kid. The relationship is intact. The kid had nothing to do with it. It's a connection established by you and your spouse, and there it is. And the kid's always your kid. But the benefits of the connection uh, to parents is very much a function of whether or not the kid submits to and accepts parental authority. I mean, if the kid says, hang it on your beak and takes off from the parents, you don't love the kid any less. You're still the kid's parents, but the parents can't get in on household blessings because the kid divorced himself from the house. You get what I'm saying? Israel gets the land of promise. For what? For nothing. She didn't do anything God said in Genesis 12. Abraham and covenant, I'm choosing you. Here's the land. But then later in the Mosaic covenant, you know what God said? You got the land freely. But in order for you to enjoy being in the land, you have to obey. Now, since Israel has not done it, she has never had free and unobstructed, unhindered uh, access to the land down to this very day. I mean, we just had the whole Gaza thing and the, the, whole, the so-called peace talks. Baloney, the peace talks. But anyway... But that's an illustration of the new covenant reality. Look, under new covenant, you please tell me what you did to be saved. I'll tell you what you did. You came with nothing. You didn't make any claims to righteousness. Or you didn't make a deal with God. God, you do half, I'll do the other half. You said, just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And you got saved. But then the experiences of salvation are very much a function of obedience. You know what David's saying? Hey, I've been a slouch at a lot of times in my life. There's no question about it. And one thing I figured out is when I disobey God, nothing works. So right now he's saying, I'm not aware of any secret sin in my life. I am not cultivating a pattern of unconfessed sin. I am right with God. I'm smack dab in the center of his will. And he's saying, oh, it really feels good. It just is a blessing to be close to him. So let me tell you something that I'm telling myself, I promise you. If you are presently sinning, you probably ought to stop doing it because you're miserable. So here are the two things you do. It's not that tricky. And I'm telling you, I, I apply this to myself too. Please don't misunderstand. That's why God doesn't do this stuff through angels, you know. He does it through people, teaching, preaching. Because how dare we talk down to anyone? I mean, we're creeps like the rest of you. Only we'd like to be called Reverend Creep. Okay, so here's what you do. Here's what we do uh, when we're in sin. Look, look, look. The first thing you do is confess. That's not tricky. It just means agree. It, you agree it's sin. You, you agree. You say, God, what I did is sin in your eyes. You don't make excuses. Look, I got to confess something to you. 
I watched this TV program called Speeders. Anyone watch Speeders? Yeah. On TV? You, you do that? And so your standards is, are low, like mine. <laughs> so I watch this show, Speeders. And it's, uh, exactly. Um, it's people who speed and get pulled over by a traffic cop, and they make lame excuses. And, 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 and the most commonly expressed lame excuse is, I mean, everyone was going that fast. I was just keeping up with traffic. See, 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 it's like us saying, yeah, I know it's sin, God, but everyone's doing it. What'd you pull me over for? No. If it's true confession, you say, it's not my business what everyone is doing. I know what I did. I sinned against your holiness. I've offended your holiness. I confess. I agree. What I did is sin. So that's the first step, confession. Second, repentance. Don't make it tricky. Repentance means change of direction. Here's what you do when you sin. You turn your back on God. Here's what you do when you repent. You turn towards him. Don't make it tricky. Confession, you move away. Repentance, you move back. What do you do? You move back and you say, oh, God, thank you for forgiving me. And then you let him put his arms around you and give you a hug. And then you say, oh, God, I hate to admit this, but I'm prone to do this thing again. Would you keep me from temptation? Would you strengthen me? That's what you do. There's blessing in being rightly related to God now that you're saved through obedience. It's such a drag to be outside of his will. David realized this is so cool. Look, New Testament concept, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, the Greek verb tense is actually be regularly being filled with the Holy Spirit. That does not mean the Holy Spirit is sometimes in us and the rest of the times he takes off. The word actually means be controlled by. You can be controlled by stuff, but the New Testament commandment is no. You should be regularly mastered by, filled by, controlled by the very present Holy Spirit. When we sin, the Bible calls that quenching the Holy Spirit. Hey, he's still very much there, but hey, hey, hey. You're putting the wraps on the capacity of the Holy Spirit to control your life because he's not, though God, he's not going to force himself upon you. You have to turn over the keys to every room of your house. So the Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now wait, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're already saved. So this isn't about salvation. This is about succeeding in life. You can't. Until God has mastery and control of every aspect of your life. You may not fail with respect to your salvation and its eternal ultimate conclusion. But man, life can be a drag even for a saved one acting like an unsaved one. Don't you see? So at this point in David's life, he had his ups and downs just like we do. But at this point, he has his up. And he said, I'm filled with your spirit. I'm rightly related to you. I've confessed any unknown sin. And this is so good. I'm experiencing great blessing. I'm close to you. You're delivering me. I'm talking to you in an unobstructed way. I tell you, that's the prize of obedience. So, wow. Lots to do, huh? 
All right, all right, I'll tell you what let's do. Because I know you're hungry, fleshly, materialistic, centered on this world, more interested in your stomach than your soul. No, I just... By the way, we're going to talk about food Wednesday night. Yeah, so enjoy your bluebell now. Okay, so... Uh, how about this? Do, do this. Turn to verse 33. We're going to take like a huge passage. At least you are. In verse 33 to 47, I want to tell you what David did. He gave credit to God. He attributed his deliverance to God. He laid no claim to it. Look, look. He didn't say, this all worked out for me because I believed in myself. He didn't say that. He didn't say, this all worked out with me because of positive confession. Nope. He didn't say, this wor all worked out for me because I read a self-help book and followed its 10 steps to success in life. Nope. He didn't say, this happened to me because I thought it into existence. By the way, folks, I'm not making up any of that stuff. He didn't come along someone similarly situated and struggling and say to that person, hey, hey, I know you're struggling, so here's what you should do. You should do what I did. I started jogging. Um, uh, you know, I eat vegetables. I, um, uh, you know, I read some guy's book about how to do this right or whatever. I allowed no negative thoughts in my life. I denied you know, uh, that I have cancer, I mean, whatever. I went through all these uh, new age gyrations, and you should do the same thing. Yeah, but David doesn't say anything like that. You know what he says? I was a mess. I had nothing going. I didn't have the strength to take the next breath. The cords of death encompassed me. In my desperation, not virtue, desperation, I cried out to God. No, I didn't pray. I cried out. No, I didn't do it once. I cried all day long because I hurt all day long. And you know what happened? God heard my prayer. I thought I was distant from him, but he heard me. He lent his ear to me, and he took care of everything. He set my feet upon a rock. I'm stable now. I have hope. He was my refuge. He delivered me. And then you say to that person, I know he's going to do it for you because that's his character. So why don't you do the same thing? You're enveloped by your desperation. Now why don't you declare it to God? Why don't you deal him in? Why don't you say, oh, God, lend your ear to me. And then why don't you wait patiently and expectantly for God to take care of you? Now, in essence, that's what David did in verses 33 to 47. So what I'd like for you to do, this will be kind of fun. In no particular order, as you see something in that passage of Scripture, 33 to 47, that tells you what God did. Just yell it out. Just yell out what you see God did. Say that again. Oh. That's good. He delivered me from the attacks of the people. Wonderful. Thank you. His right hand. That's his strength. It wasn't me. It's not my push-ups. I didn't build up my biceps. There's no strength in me. I'm weak. 
It's his right hand that sustained me. What else? He's the shield of victory. I couldn't protect myself. He became my shield of victory. What else? He raised my hand. He trained my hands. For Look at these hands. They're just appendages. They're just little Jewish hands. David was a little Jewish kid, so I know. He's a youth with ruddy complexion. He's got nothing going. I mean, he's not looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever this boy's name is. He's just got these little things. They're just hanging around. They're just barely big enough to eat kosher food. Hang on to a piece of matzah. God trained him up so that these could be hands fit for the battle. But David didn't say, I did this, that, and the other thing. David said, God did this. What else? Oh, man, Gene, he sent me on a high flight. I'm going down. I'm in the valley. I mean, they're going to bury me. Nah, but God set my feet on a high place. I'm an overcomer. Yes. He defeated my enemies. My enemies became his enemies because I'm his. I didn't fight against them. To the extent that I won, God did this. What else? He placed me at the head of the nation. I didn't run for office. I didn't campaign. I didn't spend 90 bazillion dollars. I didn't get elected. He placed me at the head of the nations. David sang praises. I praise his name. Yes. What else did God do? Someone, yeah, brother. He gave me courage. We read in Psalm 17 and earlier, David was faint of heart. I trembled. Remember he said, I drowned my bed with tears? No, but God strengthened him and gave him courage. Okay. Wonderful stuff. Go ahead, go ahead Mac. Isn't that something? That is really good. God on high, transcendent deity, Elohim, the creator, stooped down. Wow. Folks, do you get it? Now you can find out why God allows distress to come our way. It's to enhance our dependence on him. It's to empty us of self-sufficiency, and self-reliance so that we have no choice when we are rescued but to say, oh, God, look what you did. And, and, and it goes on here. Look, look, we're almost done. Verse 49. Therefore, that's usually important. That connects what he's about to say to what has come before. Therefore, I'll give thanks to you among the nations. Because I was desperate and I declared declared my need and because you and you alone were the deliverer therefore i will i will give thanks to you among the nations i'll sing praises to your name so here's the deal that's why god allows a bunch of tough stuff tough stuff we can't deal with uh, it, it makes us desperate desperation makes us declare our desperation declaring our desperation to a god who takes delight in us uh, brings forth from him deliverance. And then we go around the world and tell people, oh, 
Let me tell you about the God who is there. Oh, he's not just there. He's willing to be there for each of us. You know, he's my God. And let me tell you what my God has done for me. And I could tell you my God is willing to be your God and do the same for you. And that's how we become living proof of a loving God. It isn't by sitting around in a classroom. It's by getting knocked around by life out there, having no choice. We don't pray anymore. We start crying out to God for help. In due season, he delivers, usually in a way we didn't see coming. It's not like he delivered anyone else because you're not like anybody else. And then when you see it's coming, there's such a clear connection between your distress and God's deliverance. You wouldn't dare attribute it to anyone or anything else. You say, oh, look what God did. And you can't wait to tell someone what he did. And so you express your thanksgiving and praise uh, to God in public in the earshot of others and some of them get jealous and want to have a my God concept too. That's how it works. One more verse because it's verse 50, right? He gives great deliverance to the king, to his king, and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David. Now get this. And his descendants forever. Do descendants come before you or after you? Yeah, they they come after. So he's talking about the future. Now notice what he's doing. (sighs) Earlier on, when David had the present experience of being uh, rescued by God, he associated it with everybody's past experiences of being rescued by God. And now he's making a reference to the future. He's saying, not only did you rescue people in the past and me in the present, but I think you're going to take care of my descendants forever. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We change, circumstances change, cultures change, uh, languages change. I mean, the whole deal. But what doesn't change is that the God who has been the rock of his people in the past and David's rock continues to be the rock of all those who cry out to him and all those who have a my God relationship with him. That's good, don't you think? That is really, really good. So here's the deal. It actually isn't that good. Because in order for you to be a praiser of God, you're going to have to get knocked around. I mean, you're going to have to get pruned and emptied. You're going to have to get hurt. And in the hurt, you're going to have to cry out. And then you're going to find God as healer and helper and giver of hope and all the rest. Then you're going to have something to say. And that is the normal Christian life. Nowhere to run from it, nowhere to hide. It hurts. But that's what it means to be called as a servant of the Lord, don't you see? David recognized it. I'm not here for creature comforts. I'm not here for personal peace and affluence. I'm not here for prosperity. I'm not here for smooth sailing. I'm here to be a servant of the Lord. I serve the Lord when I get emptied. I get emptied when I hurt and can't fill myself up. When I hurt and can't fill myself up, I cry out to God. When I cry out to God, he fills me up. And then I tell other people how to get filled up. See how it works? Welcome to the real world, my fellow servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good news. 
this will only last until you die. <laughs> or he returns, whichever comes first. But that's the way it is here. For momentary light affliction. That's what it is. Can't be compared to the glories to be revealed to us. Hey, one thing and we'll close. Let's stand for this. And that way you'll know I really mean it when I say we're leaving. Um, verse 46 is a, is a song we sing. Verse 46. And uh, this is actually part two uh, of the song. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock. But there's something that comes before it. Do you know what the verse that comes before it? Uh, do you know how it goes? Well, no, no, not verse 45. <laughs> there's, there's words, there's lyrics that have been put. What is it? What do you say? Jake, where's Jake? Is Jake here? Jake, come here for a second, would you please? Come over, Jake, come on. Jake, you've been sleeping the whole time. Come on. Jake, there's a song. The Lord liveth and blessed be my... But there's some... Well, you know songs. You're, you just... You, I will call upon... Jake, do you know the song? I will call upon the Lord. You're doing good. No, I'm not. Can you lead us? You don't know that song? Okay, then sing. Here we go. Ready? I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Then shall I be saved from my enemy. Here's verse 46. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and may the God of my salvation be the Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and may the God of my salvation be exalted. Thank you, brother. God bless you, folks. See ya. Rita. Hey, thank you, brother. I didn't say anything because I didn't think about you. I had to do this. Seriously, I should have mentioned something. I forgot all about it. He said they're working on the one to get another one. They may not be able to hear themselves. Anyway, when I get some training on it, when the next time that group is here that usually sings, there's this lady who does it. She'll be able to let you
No. Oh. Yeah. And you know how it's the, I guess it's just a rule that says the 